Amen. If you love being in church, can I get a hallelujah? Woo! Let me get a hallelujah. Amen. How many woke up and you were happy to see the sun this morning? The sun is shining. Do me a favor. Open up your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. I'm so glad that you're here. I wouldn't want to be anywhere else than in the house of God. How many of you know your best day as a sinner is still not as good as your worst day as a saint? I would rather go through what to me was my worst day, my sister's funeral. I would rather go to that every single day of my life than to have and have Jesus with me than to have that high party that I had, whatever I was doing. You know why? Because I didn't have Jesus. And if you don't have Jesus, you don't have nothing. Can I just talk to you right now? So how many are happy to be here? Amen. In the house of God. Give it up for Jesus. We love you, Lord. Amen and amen. This scripture today is going to hit you hard, and it's going to come real correct, but it's also going to bless you. Are you all ready for this passage today? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 is the passage that we've been in the last couple of weeks. We're in a sermon series on the book of Ephesians. How many have been enjoying the book, Ephesians? Do me a favor. You read your Bible seven days a week. You should do that. The Bible says you don't live by bread alone, and you eat every day, right? You don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Read your Bible seven days a week. One day a week, read the book of Ephesians. That way you can stay in touch with what we're doing here in the sermon series. It's called In Him because it's about being in Jesus. You'll see it mentioned here a bunch of times just in this passage. But then we've broken down the passage into bite-sized pieces. This is 12 verses right here. And trust me, I counted them because if you take 14 minus 3, what is that? 11, but it's actually 12 because you read verse 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. That's 12 verses I had to do that. So anyways, I don't know if anybody else thinks like me. It's 11, but it's really 12. But here's how it is. You make this a part of your life. This sermon series is about what Paul is speaking of in him and the revelation. And then this little chunk is about what he's thankful for. Can I get an amen? If you're thankful, look at this. Verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realm with how many spiritual blessings? Every. Thank you. Every spiritual blessing in Christ. That is the heading for all the 14 things we're learning in these 12 verses. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be what? Holy and blameless in his sight. Now let me ask you a question. How should you look at yourself? The way you see yourself in the mirror or the way God sees you? Come on, the way you look at yourself in the mirror may be messed up. You may see your pimple, your zit, all of those things, but God sees you as what? Holy and blameless. Now, if you can see yourself as Christ sees you, that's good, because I got a brother trying to be a little smart on the, on the front row saying we should do both. But listen, most of the time, your eyes don't see what God sees. And let me ask you this, because I think this should be clear. How should you see yourself, the way God sees you or the way your friend sees you, the way your enemy sees you? The way the people at your job see you. You better look at yourself the way Jesus sees you. This is not make-believe. Oftentimes we read the Bible and it would sound like this to us. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to have wings so that we could fly. That's honestly how some of you read that statement because you look at yourself in the mirror and you don't think you're holy. You don't think you're blameless because you can place blame and condemnation all over your life and all the mistakes that you've made. You can look at your past and see how messed up you were. And then if you can't get it all, your friend will remind you of the things you used to do. But in Christ, in Christ, literally think about you going into another dimension. When you walk into Christ, you leave the past behind. The old you is gone behold, the new you has come. All the sin is washed off of you. All of the blame is washed off of you. All the unholiness is washed off of you. And if we were looking at it like uh, how that movie was, uh, with, oh man, I could see that thing and they would step into it, the gate. What was that science fiction show? 
Stargate, thank you, Stargate. And they walk through like that blob of energy. But what are we crossing into from our life into his life? It's the blood. It's the blood. That's why he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be what? Holy and blameless in his sight. So stop arguing with God because that's pride. Let me just say that right now. If God says you are and you say you're not, that's not humility. If God says, I see you as holy, and you go, but I'm not holy. I'm so messed up. I do all these bad things. God says, you don't see me the way I see you. Stop acting in pride. Because I say to my son, you can do this. And he goes, but I can. I'm not able to. And I go, yes, you can. I know who you are. You're a Vorostic. You can do this. Believe who God said you are. You are a king's kid. You are a Christian. You are Christ-like. You are a disciple of Jesus. Now, if you're not born again, you ain't none of this. And that is the truth. You can't be what we are unless you come into who we've come into. But here's the good thing. There's an invitation for you today in this service to come to Jesus Christ. At the end of this service, you can step through the blood of Jesus into God and be holy and blameless in his sight. Verse 5, in love, he predestined us to adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. This is what we learned, verse 7, last week. In him we have what? Redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, amen, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. That is today's text today. Read verse 8 with me on the count of three. One, two, three. That he lavished on us with with all wisdom and understanding. How much wisdom and understanding has been lavished on you? How much do you think, or what do you think all means in the Greek? Okay, so do you think there's anything missing? Are you lacking any wisdom or understanding today in Jesus Christ? No, you are not. All means all, lacking nothing. So not only are you blameless and holy in his sight, you are lacking no wisdom, no understanding to the things of God and the things he has for your life today. And that's going to get real good, so hang on with me. Verse 9, he made known to us the mystery of his will. Are we still looking to figure out the mystery of his will, or has it been made known to us? us. It's been made known to us. Now, you may be thinking, but I don't know it. Well, you better get to know it. You better get to know your word, because if you work the word, it will work for you, and that's next week's message. So if you're like, oh, man, the mystery of God's will, I just can't understand it. This is so mysterious. Well, you haven't read your word. You haven't worked it, because it says to these folks that Paul has been pastoring, this is the book of Ephesians written to the people of the Roman city of Ephesus. Most of them came from a pagan background, were recently saved. He's saying, I've been with you. Three years taught you the word. You know the mystery. You know the mystery of his will. There is no secret here. So come next week. If you don't know it, come with your Sherlock Holmes hat on, your little magnifying glass, and I'm going to help you find it. Amen. He has made, made, I said, amen. Amen. You will find the will of God. There will be nobody walking out if you're going, I don't understand it. No, you will know. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure. It's God's good pleasure to tell us his will, which he purposed in Christ. Do you see how often that comes up in him, in Christ? That's the sermon series. To be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring how many things? All things. Let me say all things. To bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. How many are looking forward to today, to the day when all things come under Christ? Things in heavenly realms, we're talking about satanic forces under Christ. Things in the earthly world, I'm looking forward to Donald Trump, Hillary Clinton, and everybody in Congress bowing their knee to Jesus Christ and him saying, let me take over now, my turn, amen? He is coming to rule and reign as surely as he came the first time, he's coming the second time. There's about 300 verses in the Bible that deal with his first coming. There's about 1,800 that deal with his second coming. What do you think you and I should be on right now? We should be ready for that second coming. Just read the book of Isaiah one day and go, whoa, man, this is happening one day. I can't wait to be a part of it. In verse 11, in him, notice that again, in him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out what? Everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Verse 12, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. Look at verse 13. And you also were included in Christ. Nudge your neighbor and say he's talking about you. 
Notice Paul is talking to the people. This is about 20 years after his conversion, and now they've been been serving the Lord about three years, and he's saying, hey, there is no superiority here at the cross in salvation. There is no uh, braggadocious mindset that he gets to say over them and go, I was here first. I know more about this than you do in that sense. We can all learn and gain wisdom, but remember, we've all been given it already, but what he is saying here is that all of us, like the apostles, even Paul, who had that special revelation meeting Jesus personally on the road to Damascus, along with the other disciples that lived and walked and talked with Jesus for three years, he says to these people of Ephesus, you also were included in Christ. So there's no difference between me, you, or Paul the apostle when it comes to our inclusion into Jesus. Can I hear an amen? But it happens when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, not just your mama's salvation, not just your grandma's salvation, not your wife's or your husband's, but yours personally now, right? It's yours. It's mine. Somebody say, it's mine. When I believe, now you can make it personal here. We're not changing the scripture. It was meant to be spoken to them, but let's just make it personal. When I believed, I was marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing my inheritance. You see, the you there is speaking to those who have believed. Do I have any believers here? If you're an unbeliever, you're excluded. If you're a believer, you're included. It's up to you. Do you want to be in or out? It's up to you. It's that simple. No one goes to hell because they didn't want to go there. They go to hell because it was their choice. And no one goes to heaven because God forced them. Both are based on the decision of the will that God freely gave us. So you can come into Jesus and be a part of his kingdom right now inwardly and celebrate it when it comes outwardly. Or you can be in this world outside of God and then you will get exactly what you want in the end in eternity without him. The sermon series is in him. How many want to be in him? Amen. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance unto the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. And remember last week we learned that there's two time frames of a redemption. The first redemption that we learned in verse 7 is the redemption of the soul and spirit being bought with the price through the blood of Jesus. And the redemption that we're looking forward to, the day of the redemption, is a redemption of our physical body at the resurrection. How many are looking forward to that? Amen. So let us go over the 14 things that we're learning from this passage in our mini-series, those 14 things Paul was thankful for. These are all the past messages. They're online. Blessed with every spiritual blessing, chosen to be holy and blameless, adoption to sonship, glorious grace, redemption and forgiveness. What are we talking about today? All wisdom and understanding. What are we going to talk about next week? Knowing God's mysterious will, then unified with Christ, God's plan, made to praise God's glory. And if you look there, those are the verses so you can study and get ahead. The gospel, marked and sealed by the Holy Spirit, guaranteed inheritance and God's possession. How many are happy for the word of God? Amen. Are we learning? We're growing. Now, today's message is actually going to tie into learning and growing in your faith. Let me give you these definitions as we talk about wisdom and understanding. Wisdom is the application of knowledge. It's good judgment. So when we use the wisdom that God gives us, we're applying the knowledge that we wouldn't have without him. Now let me just stop right here because a lot of people think they can have knowledge without God. And so there may be a sassy atheist that goes, hey, Christian, come over here, watch this. I don't believe in God, but 2 plus 2 equals 4. See, I know that, and I don't need a God. What they don't understand is why they know that. They can know how math works, but they don't know why math works. So all you have to do is ask the sassy person, say, why does that work? And then they can say, well, because, you know, evolution and, and, you know, it came from a big bang and we're all here now. Well, who banged it and what happened, you know, because nothing from nothing, nothing comes. You can't get a big bang out of nothing. And now you know what they have to do. Now they have to put up a big question mark and be like, well, I don't know. I just it just works, and, and we just happen to be here. That's all I know. And then you go, that's because stupid is as stupid does. Because wisdom says if something is here intelligently, like math, like science, 
Like logic, it came from an intelligent mind. It did not come from nothing. Do you understand that? So they may be able to use wisdom, whether they believe in God or not, but they are borrowing it from God. Are you listening? I got to get you guys to get this. I don't see many nods going or amen, so I need to repeat myself. Go Polish on you a few times here, okay? So let me just repeat it a few more times, okay? When an atheist or an unbeliever says, I know stuff, but I don't believe in God, ask them how they know stuff. How do you know it? Well, because my brain, blah, 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 blah. Now, why do you know it? Why do you have a brain that works? Do you understand? You back them up. They'll come to a place of a question mark Will they'll say, I don't know, right? Okay, let's just go through it again. How do you know math works? Because my brain tells me it works. Where'd your brain come from? Well, it came from my mama's womb. Where'd your mama's womb come from? Her mama. Where'd her mama come from? My, my mama's mama, 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 mama. Okay, to the what? To an animal? To what animal? To what animal? To what? Okay, what? To a single cell organism? To the planets being expanded? To what? A big bang? Now, what banged it? Who banged it? Do you understand this? This is why the Bible says the fool says in their heart there is no God. So everybody is using God's wisdom right now. God is logical. God is sensible. God is reasonable. God is mathematicianable. He's a mathematician. There is nothing that is true in any branch of knowledge that you or I ever discover that has not come from God. God says of himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life, okay? There is no truth outside of God's truth. Now, when I say that God is logical and reasonable, some of you Christians have been backed into corners where you have given up logic to be a person of faith, but you don't understand that faith is always logical, and let me help you understand. I didn't say faith makes sense to you, but it's always logical. God cannot lie. That means he can never be illogical. Illogic is a lie. Jesus is the truth. He can never lie. So now, look at Peter walking on water. When Jesus said to Peter, come walk on the water, come to me, you and I may say, that's illogical. But you don't understand, who is the one that said he could walk on water? Jesus, the one who created the water. So is it illogical to trust the designer of the entire universe that you can do something? No, that's actually logical to listen and obey to the one who creates things. Just take, for example, when you have a cartoon. Can the creator of that cartoon logically, logically, what we mean by logic is it's non-contradictory. You have the law of identity. You have the excluded middle and so forth. These laws of logic, where do you think they come from? The law of logic maker, they come from your God who is truth. Hello, somebody. When you create a cartoon, can't you, even with a stick figure on your piece of paper, draw a person and then now put the person over water? You could just do that. Why? Because you create that environment. You control that environment. Who controls water? You say the laws of nature control water. What do you see the laws of nature walking around like Sesame Street, L-A-W, law? Here it is. I'm the law of gravity. All of these laws are, are the discovery of our minds to the mind of God. The laws of nature speak to the law of God, to the truth of God, to the grounding nature of who he is. Because the Bible says, in him and through him are all things. Why does gravity exist? Because of God. Why does logic exist? Because of God. So when you're debating somebody, don't give them logic and let them beat you over the head with it. Say, explain to me where logic came from. They have no explanation. They'll just say, well, I don't know, a big bang a long time ago. But it's here and it works. Okay, I'll put, I'll put an answer here that I want you to think about. God gave us logic. God gave us a mind. God gave us the ability to understand and to take in knowledge. And then that other part of wisdom that gets a little sassy with people is wisdom means good judgment. And then I don't know about you, but you might have used wisdom before and somebody look at you and say, don't judge me. Have you ever had that happen? So you used wisdom about what babysitter to hire and maybe they were wondering why you didn't pick this one, but you, know, you didn't pick them, but you picked another one. And maybe you had to tell your relative why you didn't invite them over to your 
your, your house for dinner, and you say, because I use wisdom, because you drink too much, you party too much, whatever. Now, what do they say back to that? They go, well, don't you judge me. All you have to do is say back to them, are you judging me, judging you? You said don't judge me. Is that a judgment of me judging you? Because if no one's supposed to judge, you can't judge me judging you because you're not supposed to make a judgment. Y'all don't get in. Think through it. I'm not playing mind tricks with you. I'm asking you to think through it. If someone looks at you and says, stop judging me, aren't they making a judgment that you're judging them? So are we all supposed to stop judging? Yes. You first. Stop judging me. You first. Let me keep preaching to you. Stop saying stop judging me because you're making a judgment. We don't understand the fallacy of the fool. The Bible says God catches the wise in their craftiness. The foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of men. Don't let people get you into stupidity for their sake. Follow the ways of God. Wisdom is good judgment, and everybody makes judgments, but not everybody makes good judgments. The Bible says judge righteously, or when you judge, judge how you want to be judged. Because if you judge by another standard, you're going to not like that standard. That's when he says, don't judge. Don't judge lest ye be judged, for the same measure you use with others will be measured back to you. And then he says elsewhere, judge righteously. So if I make judgments on you that I don't want judged on me, am I judging by the word of God? No, because if I judge by the word of God, there should be no hypocrisy. I'm living by my own judgments. And then you can say, it's not really my judgment, it's God's judgment. Because I'm not a judge. I don't have a gavel. I didn't say you're going to hell now. I just told you in the Bible it says you're going to hell when you die. I'm just telling you, the Bible says that's sin. Are you listening? I'm not the actual one that slaps down the gavel. I'm not wearing it. I'm just really the newspaper boy who's telling you what the judge is going to do on Judgment Day. I'm just saying, hear ye, hear ye, read all about it. This is what the judge said he's going to do. Somebody say wisdom. Get you some of that. Amen? Understanding. How many think you understand understanding? Let me just give you a definition. It's mental activity used to gain insight and knowledge. Look at your neighbor and tap your brain and say, you got to use your thinker. Yeah, you got to think in life, don't you? You've got to think. Once again, how do we think? Well, you have two real explanations. You have a God-centered worldview of how we think, and then you have a non-God view. Does the non-God view explain where logic and thoughts and consciousness come from? No, they don't. The philosophy of the mind, it's, it is so true, but it's actually funny. Do you know that in Harvard, Princeton, Yale, major colleges, the philosophers who study the philosophy of the mind, you know what they're trying to prove right now in their study of the philosophy of the mind? Is that you don't have a mind. Just think on that. That is absolutely true. That is not something that I made up. The philosophers that are ungodly are using their time to, in the philosophy of mind department to try to prove you don't have a mind, that all you are is a physical brain, and your brain has chemicals, and if you shake up a pop can and you open it, it fizzes. That's all your thoughts are is just the fizz, physiology. You can say it like that. It's just the reactions to other chemical reactions. You're just a bag of chemicals. And so you actually don't have a person on the inside of you. Free will doesn't exist. Free will is an illusion. You're a me mechanism of material objects. You're just doing whatever an animal would do. You're no different than a dog. You're just a highly evolved dog. And they're doing that with their mind. <laughs> Now, think about that. I'm being honest with you here. You guys better wake up and understand something. This world is full of foolish people. It's full of idiocy. There's an atheistic book written by a very smart person. He's a philosopher at Duke. It's called The Atheist Guide to Reality. The Atheist Guide to Reality basically lists out its ten commands of what they believe and don't believe. One of the things they don't believe is that there's any meaning in life. And he wrote a book about the meaning for atheists. They don't see the contradiction in their folly. As a matter of fact, one of our debaters asked him while they were together, if you don't think the world has any meaning, you don't even think you have a free will, why did you come here with the meaning of a book that you wrote with meaning to try to get us to have a free will to decide your view is right? It's like sawing off the branch they're sitting on. The fool says in their heart there's no God. But God invites you to never turn off your brain but to turn it on and to get rid of stinking thinking and to use your mental activity to gain the insight and the knowledge of him and the world around you. 
That's what he told you to do. So what is faith? Faith is trusting in God and what he says. It is not wishful thinking. It is not make-believe. It is science, but it's not science fiction. It is logic, but it may not fit into what you think is reasonable. But God's ways, he says, are higher as the earth, as the, as the heavens are to the earth, as the heavens are higher than the earth is his ways to our ways. That's a pretty big gap. So we need to stop trying to think with our cantaloupe-sized brain that we've got all the answers. We need to humble ourselves, come back to God, and receive his wisdom and understanding. Can I get an amen? And how much does he give us of it? He gives us all. And literally what that means is nothing missing. Nothing is missing. So I want to say this one more time because I want to make sure everybody gets it. Everything we need to know about science is in God. Those who seek God and do science will do the best science. All we know or need to know about computer technology or about virtual reality or about um, astronomy and uh, astrology, not astrology, but uh, astronomy, and all that we need to know with a telescope and a microscope is found in God. Those who put him first and seek him first will be the best at what they do. And I challenge every single one of you who are thinking people and take this serious to research why the scientific revolution happened among Christians in the West, never in the East among Buddhists, never among Muslims, never among any other people group. Even the Greeks with their basis of philosophy and their little bit of mechanical engineering, there was no such thing as what we know as the scientific method and the scientific revolution until men like Francis Bacon and Kepler and Newton applied the wisdom of God. God to their real world. They believed in an intelligent designer and creator made the world intelligibly known and designed. When you look at the God of Hinduism or Buddhism, it's more of a force and it's not a personality. And you see you are stronger than the God of Star Wars because you have individual thought and you cause things. You have causality. A force, electricity, can cause nothing on its own. And so it was the Christians who went beyond East Eastern thinking of a God that was force, a force and a personless energy and began to understand that God is an intelligent person manifested with knowledge and wisdom in communication with causality. And it was through there they understood that if causality happens with God and thought and creation, causality is found in the natural order. I challenge you to go and study that. Everybody say wisdom and understanding. Thank you. Now moving on to the practical benefits of this. Ephesians also mentions wisdom in other places. Ephesians 1.17 says, and by the way, this is the next section uh, that we'll be getting to in Ephesians. It's called Paul's prayer. Paul's prayer here. Ephesians 1.17, it says, I keep asking. So here's a prayer that, a, a pastor that keeps asking things for his church. Let's see what he keeps asking. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom wisdom, and revelation so that you may know him better. How many think that should be my prayer for you often? I should keep praying it over and over again. God, I pray that our plumbers that are in this church know you and are the best plumbers in this world, God. God, I pray that our engineers know you and become the best engineers. I pray our mothers and our fathers know you. I pray that our children know you and they be the best at all that they do because, God, you give us wisdom. You give us revelation. You give us insight into the things we don't understand. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 10 moves onward into a place about the church, and we'll get to this, and notice how the church's place is with wisdom. Notice this. His intent, talking about God, was that now, everybody say now. Come on, say it in Spanish. Ahora, now, through the what? The church, the manifold, multidimensional wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realm starting with the devil and his bunch according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Understand these two things in this passage. The church is responsible for the knowledge and the wisdom of God. That means the church should have the greatest of everything that has to do with human flourishing on this planet. Doctors, found in the church. Lawyers found in the church. How many believe lawyers need to be in the church? City planners in the church. People in business in the church. Mark Zuckerberg needs to sit in this church and get him some of God's wisdom. 
Are you listening? The church has the authority to have the wisdom of God based in God to then use it and apply it right in this world. Because let me tell you, smart people can do dumb things. See, a lot of you, you have a wrong view of history. You have a view, a lot of times we even think it the same way about the gangbangers out here. We just think they're unintelligent. We think the Germans of Hitler's day were unintelligent. The Russians of Stalin's day, they were just stupid. Slave owners, stupid. We always put wickedness with stupidity. What you don't understand is that smart people can do dumb things, and they do it all the time. They do it all the time. Genocide is crafted by smart people. But what's the issue? They do not have the wisdom of morality. Morality is a multi-manifolded part of God's wisdom. Just like a diamond has multi-facets, God's uh, reflection of his wisdom to us has multi-facets. And if you divorce morality from a Germany that's really smart and wants to fight people, what do you have? Genocide. You take a morality, move it away from a gangbanger or a person that wants to make money, he's going to become a gangbanger, start selling drugs on the street. Don't tell me they're dumb. They're smart. They just don't have wisdom and morality. Are you listening? Don't underestimate your opponent and think they're stupid. They may do stupid things, but they may be also very intelligent. Now, there's some people who are stupid and do stupid things. But that doesn't mean that everybody who does dumb things is not smart. Some of them are very smart in what they do, but they don't have morality. See, there is a manifold nature of wisdom. So this is why I say where do you want your mayor to be on a Sunday with the wisdom? He's pretty smart, Rahm Emanuel. He's going to do a lot of stuff this city. In this city, he's going to do it this week or whatever. Do you want him to be at the lake or sitting in church basing his life upon the wisdom of God? You got to go to see the dentist. I just went last week. You got to see the dentist. Where do you want your dentist at? Do you want your dentist sailing on a boat or in church? Where do you want every position in this world to be informing their worldview and their morality before they touch and, 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 and impact your life? You want them to be where? In church. That's what Jesus said they belong. His intent that was now the church would be the manifold wisdom of God who would make it known to the powers of the air. And so we cannot touch on the book of wisdom without going to the book of Proverbs. Right now we're releasing daily devotions through the website and through Facebook on the book of Proverbs. So this is a great chance for you to gain some wisdom. Proverbs 7.9 says, the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. How many think that's pretty obvious? But I love that it had to be said. You want to know the beginning of wisdom? Go get you some. But really, that's, that's, that's important because a lot of people don't want it. They don't want it, and they wonder why they don't have it. Because they think they're going to get hit, by, hit and get wisdom because they get hit by the wisdom tree. Or it's going to fall on top of their head or what people call osmosis just by hanging around others. No, no, no. You get wisdom when you want it. You have to seek after it. As the scriptures say to us in that song today, knock and the door will be open. Seek and you will find. You can remain ignorant if you want. Ignorant is only bliss for a short amount of time. You can jump off a building and go, I am so ignorant of gravity and it feels good. Here I am. You will feel that bliss of falling only for so long until you hit the ground. You can be ignorant of the things of God and be blissful until you face judgment day. Ignorance is not bliss. Ignorance is suffering. Listen to what the Bible says. Though it costs you all you have, get understanding. Notice Paul's foundation. Paul's writing 1,000 years after King Solomon. Notice the unity of the Bible. Paul says we need wisdom and understanding. What does King Solomon say we need? Say it like you're up. What does it say we need? Wisdom and understanding. Verse 8, he personifies wisdom as a female. He says, cherish her. She will exalt you. Embrace her. She will honor you. She will give you a garland to grace your head and to present you with a glorious crown. Joseph was a slave in Egypt, and God gave him wisdom, and he prospered. They threw him into prison. He was still wise, and he prospered. You could throw him in a pit. You could put him into the Potiphar's house. You could put him in prison, but you couldn't hold back his wisdom. Some people you put in a palace, and they're still stupid. Some people, they win the lottery, they're still stupid. Are you listening to me? Places and things and money don't change stupid. Wisdom does. Get you wisdom. Proverbs 9.10 says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So you want to seek out after wisdom? The first thing is God's going to say, you better understand this. And fear of the Lord doesn't mean I'm afraid I'm going to go to hell. Fear of the Lord just means he's in charge. I'm not. I better do it his way. The Bible says he's the great I am. So what does that make you? The great I'm not. He says, I am the creator. You better bow your knee and say, I am not the creator. 
Are you guys listening to me? He says, I am the provider. You better bow your knee and say, I am not the provider. You can make money, but you can't provide. I'll be here all day explaining that. Because a lot of you got a home, but it ain't happy. Hello? A lot of you got a wife, but she don't love you, man. Come on. But you think you're working hard for your family all day. You're not a self-made man. You're a self-made mess. Check yourself before you wreck yourself. The fear of the Lord tells you I'm not in charge. The fear of the Lord says God's in charge. I've got better do it his way. Somebody once again may say, well, look at, look at Steve Jobs. Look at all these rich and famous people who do it without God. All I have to say to you is look at a kid making a sandcastle on the ocean before the tide comes in. How long is that sandcastle going to last? So the Bible says, look at eternity and look at those places. Those are sandcastles, my friend. Build your house on the rock of the word. And so he is all of that, but guess what? Now I'm in him. So I got some provision because I got the provider. I got the peace because I got the peacemaker. Amen. I've got the ability to be creative because I've got the creator. I'm in him and he is in me. Verse 11, for through wisdom your days will be many. Years will be added to your life. If you are wise, your wisdom will reward you. Now here it is. If you are a mocker, you will suffer alone. Now, that means you will suffer eternally in hell alone. So the first wisdom that we need is to accept God into our life. Fear the Lord. Know that you didn't give yourself life, and ultimately, you're not the one that ends your life. You may be able to commit suicide or do something crazy like that, but guess what? You wake up in eternity. I still got a soul. <laughs> I can't kill that. What do I do now? Hello, somebody. You better, you better shape up. Amen? Some people think, I'm just going to end it, and then they open their eyes, and they find out it didn't end nothing. You just welcomed yourself to eternity on the wrong side. And I'm not here to be mean to people who have been depressed or whatever, but I'm just being very honest with you. You didn't give yourself your life. You better not take your life. Be wise or you will suffer alone. Mocking is to mock what we're saying right now. Ah, I don't need that church. You know, I don't need what Ephesians says. I don't need the manifold wisdom of God to come from the church. I get it from Google. I don't need, I don't need Jesus. I don't need the fear of the Lord. All I need is a billion dollars. You know, you can do that all day long. You'll suffer alone. But blessed are those, blessed are those who seek first the kingdom of God first and then his righteousness, and all of these things are added unto them. So if I can be blessed upon this earth and blessed in the life to come, I choose that. Amen. So I want to share this with you quickly. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, here comes the message. That was just the introduction. That was just the introduction. I want to give you the message really quick here, though, in closing, though. I want everybody to get it. There's three ways that wisdom works, three simple ways. Here it is. For everybody, it's going to work the same. Number one, wisdom comes through Jesus. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, It's because of him that you are in Christ, for who he, uh, he has become, talking about Jesus, for us, the wisdom of God. Who is Jesus Christ to us? The wisdom of God. One more time. Who is Jesus Christ to us? The wisdom of God. Now, what does the wisdom of God teach us? That we are righteous, holy, and redeemed. If you don't start with a relationship with Jesus, you are unrighteous, unholy, and left to be a slave of the devil. The first thing you must do is start a relationship with Jesus. That's the wisest thing you can do. Psalm chapter 2 says, kiss the king lest he become angry and destroy you. There is a true day of judgment coming and we ought not to take it lightly. Psalm chapter 2 verse 11 talking about the son of God says, kiss the son or he will become angry and your way will lead you to your destruction. See, it's your destruction. It's your way. If you go your way, you get your destruction. The payment of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. What we deserve when we sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. You can get what you deserve or you can get grace. Get grace through Jesus Christ. For his wrath, here is his promise, his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all those who take refuge in him. How many want to take refuge in Jesus today? So the first thing we do is we realize we are not the creator. We are not the sustainer of life. We are not the one that created it ourselves. So we come to God and we admit that. Then we admit we are not righteous. We are unholy. And all of these things that we are not, God is. And through that we find redemption. Being born again simply means to be given a new life because Christ died for your old life and raised to give you a new life. Does everybody get that? If you want your old life, you get the payment of 
hell for it. You keep it now. You keep it for eternity. If you want to trade it for new life, you get God's life for all of eternity. And that's when Christ becomes your righteousness, your holiness, your redemption. Am I righteous on my own? No. Where's my righteousness come from? Christ. Am I holy on my own? No, my, my holiness comes from God. That's the first thing. And now the next thing that we learn is that we have to ask for the wisdom. We have to access it. Look at James 1, 5 through 8. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. So will there ever be a time that you ask God for wisdom that he'll find fault with you and say, I don't think you're good enough to get it? No. That's why sinners can be saved. Because sinners go, I don't know how to save myself. I can't even save my puppy. I can't do nothing. Would you help me to know what salvation is? And God gives it to us every time. God, I don't know how to be a mother. Would you help me? God gives this to us every time. God, I don't know how to work with crazy people on the job and not want to hurt them every day. Would you give me patience? God gives us the wisdom in every situation we ask him for it. Because Bible says he gives more grace to the humble but resists the proud. All we have to do is verse 6. This is it. But when you ask, you must what? Believe. When you ask for salvation, what must you do? Believe. When you ask God to make you the person he wants you to do, what do you have to do? Believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown, back, uh, blown tossed and, and forth, back and forth by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. That's why God will never prove himself to you because you don't have enough wisdom to know you couldn't even frame the question, God, prove yourself to me unless there was a God. Do you understand? So those of us like, I won't believe it unless he shows himself to me. Back him up again and go, how are you even talking right now? How are you even a self that understands what's going on? There's your proof of God. Look at yourself in the mirror. You are your own proof of God, and here you already denied that, and now you're shaking your fist at God. You get nothing. You get nothing. The Bible says you're unstable. You're double-minded. You're putting God on trial like he's the bad guy. You're the bad guy. Repent. The idea is you can't outsmart God. You can't outwit God. But listen, the humble always get the favor of God. The one who says, I didn't create myself. Universe doesn't create itself. Laws of logic don't come from nowhere. They're here. There must be a God. The Bible even speaks about this, and I have a book, Eternity in Their Heart, by Cyril Richards, which talks about cultures from China to the Incas to all types of ancient cultures and places where our missionaries have reached, and they discovered the things of God by dreams and visions because they had enough sense not to worship what their ancestors were worshiping. They threw their hands up to the sky and said, God, if you're there, hear me, talk to me, give me insight, and they were given the insight that we have today. Even still, right now, Muslims in restricted lands and places like North Korea see visions of Jesus Christ. These are written down and documented. I'm telling you the truth. So don't expect to see anything from God if you're double-minded and doubting him. And then lastly, we see a parable here that will rock you if you give it some time. If, if you really sit on it, it will really rock your worldview. And that is, we have to be faithful to apply the wisdom to be fruitful. We just can't say, I'm a Christian, now God, give me whatever you want, and then just sit there and do nothing. We have to apply ourselves. There's a story in the Bible about the man who sows seed, and that's a representation of our hearts. And there's four different grounds that he throws seed on, but there's only one ground that it actually grows. You guys Remember this story? Well, there's one where the ground is hard and the seed is taken away by the bird, which is the devil. Look at what makes that ground hard. Look at this. When anyone hears, verse 19, the message about the kingdom and does not what? And does not what? Understand it. The evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. So if you say to me right now, I've tried that Jesus stuff and it didn't work, I say, liar, liar, pants on fire, you didn't apply your mind to understand it. You didn't apply your mind to understand it. There will be no sinner on the day of judgment going, I was just skeptical and you couldn't answer all my questions, God, and I tried really hard but it didn't work. God's going to say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, you're a liar. 
Everything from the breath you breathe to the intelligence of your mind to the reflection of my image in the mirror to the love and the morality that you felt in this world was all a proof that I existed. All you had to do was understand where it comes from, where it comes from. And where does it come from? My friends, open up the first page of your Bible, and this is where wisdom is poured out. Can I hear an amen? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You start right there, you'll see a God speaking to you throughout the Bible. And I don't have time to talk about other religions and their claims, but there is no book like the Bible, no person like Jesus. And then you get to the book of the New Testament, John. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. So there is no way that you can say, I don't understand. The only ones that cannot are children and the mentally handicapped, and we believe God has mercy on them. And look at the bottom of this parable, the end of the parable, rather. Where, what is the difference between the other three, you know, the one who has a hard heart, doesn't understand, the one that's like a cracky, uh, shallow heart, you know, like a little crack in the ground, it is, the seed doesn't grow deep, the sun scorches it, the other one, the third one is with weeds, weeds choke it up. But what makes this soil of the fourth one so good that it continues to bear fruit 160, 30 times, but the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. Every single thing in your life, if you're going to be fruitful in it, will be dependent upon your ability to understand it. Are you ready for the message? I've got to tell you this message in the last few moments that I have you. Every single thing in your life that you're ever going to be good at, that you're going to do, is going to start off as a seed from God as wisdom and knowledge, and you must understand it and apply it. Otherwise, you will be unfruitful, unsuccessful, and you alone will suffer. Everything. And God taught us in this scripture what to do about it. And the problem is many of us, and I don't want to be rude and I want to be very kind, but many of us miss this in this scripture. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. And here's where we miss it because he says, with all your mind and with all your strength. Oh, Now watch this. Here it is. Here's our double-mindedness now. We love God with our heart, but the world with our mind. You think you come to church to learn spiritual truth, just emotional things, emotional things that make my heart feel good. When I'm all sad, Jesus makes me feel better. But when I need money, I do it like Donald Trump or Oprah Winfrey. I do it based on their knowledge and wisdom. And what you don't understand is you are double-minded. You are a hypocrite. You are someone that cannot receive from God because you don't believe that God touches this as much as he touches this. And I want to tell you, I've been there, and we've all been there. And I could keep you here all day, but I just want to give a few illustrations as your pastor because I love you so much. We have people in this church that I admire so much of what they do in all different types of jobs. But they all have one thing in common. They have had to have wisdom and understanding to be successful at it. And so if I follow Joe today to his construction business, he's going to look at a project. He's not going to look at the wall that maybe needs to be rebuilt. He's not going to go, well, I think maybe that's only six feet tall or seven feet. No, he's going to pull out a, a measuring tape. He's going to measure it right. He's going to have the skill of what needs to be fixed. We have Alex here, a computer scientist, works with computer technician. If you need your computer fixed, see him. If you need your house fixed, see Joe. Right? And, and, and Alex, if he's working on a computer... He's not going to go on his feelings. If you bring him your computer and you go, man, this thing doesn't work, he's not going to go, I feel you're lying. Just, just go back and try it again. No, he's going to run a diagnostic test on it. He's going to run certain programs on it to find the problem. Are you listening? We have an engineer in this church, Daryl, and Daryl was sitting right up here. He went, must, must went to the back, and Daryl works with machines that create other machines, and he's in tool and die, and all of these things have to be done on a CAD program on a computer where every minute detail with gears and engines have to be calibrated 
created so that it works. Are you listening to me? Everything in your life is based on wisdom and understanding. The mother today that takes care of her children must understand how to feed, how to put to sleep, how to dress, how to change, how to interpret their teenagers' silence. I, you know, mothers have to do all these things in their life. Fathers have to do this. Husbands have to the job of understanding their wives. Come on, somebody. We, we, everything we do in life, every, I don't care, it's from the moment you walked in this door, you were, you were applying this principle to the moment you go out. You're applying wisdom and understanding. But here's the deal, here's the deal. We don't do it with God and his word. Because when was the last time you applied your mind to the word of God to find the solution to the problems that he has the answer for? You, you expect on your job for them to train you how to fix that problem. If it doesn't work, you go to the manual, you go to the website, you Google the, you know, the question to find the answer. And yet some of you are having problems in marriage and you haven't even gone to Ephesians 5 yet. You're having problems with your kids and you haven't even gone to the book of Proverbs yet. You're having problems with your finances. You haven't even gone to Malachi chapter 3 yet. And you're thinking that Christianity don't work. And the problem is you don't know how to work it. Because God said, I've already given it to you. I've already placed it inside of you when you accepted Christ into your heart. And now you have to ask, and I won't hold anything against you. So it's kind of like the situation where if I come into my kids' room and it's a big mess and they say, now help me, Dad, to clean it up. If I need to help them, I'm going to. I won't hold it against them. You see, God is looking to help us. He won't hold against us the mess we've made out of our marriage, the mess we've made out of our finances. He won't hold it against us as long as we ask him for his wisdom. And that's what's going to separate, I'm being honest with you, the winners from the losers. That's what's going to separate us. And I'm not trying to say every problem in your life is your fault, but I'm here to tell you there are a lot of problems in your life that God is saying, um, when are you going to ask me? Because I got some wisdom for you. You know, you know, when are you going to let me into your marriage? Because I got some wisdom for you. When are you going to let me into your bank account? Because you gave me your heart but not your wallet and you're wondering why it never works. Uh, when are you going to let me into your family dinners where I can speak to your kids? When are you going to let me into your job because you keep going from one to the next? When are you going to let me into your community because you wonder why there's all these problems and you've tried it everybody's way? You've tried it Sheriff Joe's way. You've tried it Congressman Bob's way. When are you going to try it my way. And that's what wisdom is here for. Wisdom, literally in the book of Proverbs says, is crying aloud for us to come and receive from it. God is speaking to us, listen, through our problems, saying, I am the solution. God is speaking to us through the problem. And he is telling us, I have the answer. And it's not easy for any of us. I get it. Because then that means we have to admit God's smarter than us. And we don't like to admit that, right? You know, it's like, come on, God. You know, I thought I could do this. You know, I don't know if you know so much about family stuff anymore, but it's the 21st century. And, you know, I'm going to make my own call here on this guy. You know, and it's like, why would I want to keep living like that and then blame God for it when I never asked his help anyway? See, it's about time that we as parents, let's just take that example before we go. It's about time we start using God's wisdom to raise our children. The Bible says, raise your children in the ways of the Lord, and when they're old, they won't depart. So that means you look at their entertainment. You look at their Facebook. You look at their friends. You filter it through the Word of God. Try that. We look at our marriages the same way. Well, I've tried it Dr. Phil's way. I've tried it Steve Harvey's way. What, is he on his third marriage? You know, come on, somebody. You know, it's like I'm listening to all, and, and you know, Oprah Winfrey's never even been married, shacked up to Stedman, but I'm going to watch her special on marriage. And then we'll buy somebody's book. Let me tell you something. The book has already been given to you on marriage. I just wish we could get it because it's hard. And I'm just going to say this now in closing. And, and we think it's illogical, but it's actually logical. So let me give you a perfect example about finances, okay? So God says to me a while back, write a $1,000 check and give it to missions. That to me is illogical. That to me is the El Diablo. Satan, stop talking to me about giving away that kind of money because I need that money. But God is like, you can rebuke me all you want, but I'm the one talking here. So to me, it's illogical. Give, and it shall be given to you, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall people pour onto your lap, to your bosom. And I'm thinking, that works when you minus a zero. That works with hundreds. That doesn't work with thousands. 
And God says, no, test me. And you see, now I had to choose my wisdom. I had to choose God's wisdom over my wisdom. So that's where it gets real. And then you say, God, I'm trusting you. It seems illogical, but hey, after all, you made the place that we call earth. You kind of made the stuff that we call greenbacks, money. You made it. You made me to make it. I can't even make myself move my arm without your brain that you gave me. So I guess I can trust you. Or how about this one? The Bible says, wives, submit to your husbands, you know, as unto the Lord. And you're just like, I can't do that. I can't. You don't know my husband, you know. And he's not obviously asking you to submit to sin. He's not asking you to submit to abuse. But let's say it's just over, you know, what color the carpet should be or where you should go out to eat. And you're just like, gosh darn it, I want to be happy. Doesn't he know what I need? And all of a sudden, you hear that verse in your head, wives, submit to your husband. You're like, shut up, devil. No, you don't know him. I'm hungry for sushi. And he wants to go to KFC. I, I'm going to get my way. And then God is saying, well, you can go down the path of folly and see where that leads you. But I've already been to the future and know what it looks like. Let me back you up here. Follow my word, you know. And so submission seems like it's not the right path, but submission is the path that maybe speaks to your husband to say, you know what, I've been choosing all this time, and she's now willing to do whatever I'm saying, so it's not a power struggle. I feel kind of bad. Well, okay, let's go to that. You see, the Bible says we win over people that way, doesn't it? Doesn't the Bible say, wives, you'll win over your unbelieving husbands by your submission to them? I don't know if you all read your Bibles or not, but it says it in the Bible. You can trust me. And so I'll be here one more, I'll be here all day, but let me just give you one more example. So we're, we're all here in this church, and we all want to do great things for God, but we're all, we're all smart. We're all like, like wise guys. You know, you're a wise guy. You're like, we all know how to run a church, right? Because you've all been pastors before, right? You've done this for 20 plus years, but we all think we know what we're doing. It's like the same thing we go to the restaurant. We're going to relieve like a five-paragraph bad review about the restaurant because we know how to run restaurants, don't we? I'm sure we do, right? Well, this is part of our pride in our American consumerism, so I get people in the church that want to tell me what to do. I want to tell you what to do and you do this. But what are we supposed to do in church? The Bible says submit one to another. Be unified in a vision because when you have thy vision, that's a dividing of the vision. And so you may say, there's things here I want to change. There's things here I want to do. Well, guess what? Join the vision. Humble yourself. Grow the church. And let God bring your idea to the surface. Because we don't listen, we don't listen to sassy Facebook posts that give us one stars. We listen to elders and deacons who have served in the ministry and now have a gift to give us and say, Pastor, I've been sitting listening to you preach for two years. Here's an idea that God has given me. Pray on it. See, I trust that person whether than this pastor said this and it offended me. Do you hear what he said about so and so? I can't believe he made fun of Oprah Winfrey. Do you hear what he said? I don't hear that. And nor do you. Let's be honest. Nor do you. We need wisdom, and it comes from God. When we humble ourselves, it comes to your family, comes to our children, comes to our jobs. And I know some of you are like, you don't know my boss. You don't know. But let me tell you, wisdom will always prevail. And wisdom may give you the right time to leave. Amen? Because you cuss him out, you're not getting a good review as you go to that next job. Maybe the Lord says, surf him for two weeks, and I'm going to open up a door over here. And they will gladly write a review, right? Because maybe they don't like you either. Hello. Sometimes bosses don't like their employee. You ever thought about that? Can I get an amen for some bosses in here? We're always thinking like we're under. You need to learn to think like you're on top sometimes. Amen. Let's stand up and give it up for Jesus. Wisdom. Wisdom. Band, would you come, altar workers, please? Would you bow your head and close your eyes and just surrender your will to the will of the Father today? Come on, say, not my will, but your will be done. The prayer of submission today will save the lost. If you mean it and you truly want to be saved, you will be saved. It will save the Christian from bad decision-making right now. If you say, not my will, but your will be done. How many need the will of God in their families? I double-dog dare you to pray it right now. God, give me wisdom to be a father. God, give me wisdom to be a mother. Children, pray for wisdom to submit to your parents. Come on, how many of you need wisdom in your finances? Lord, give me wisdom. To make money, to save money, to spend money, to repeat. Come on. God, I need your wisdom. Right now in closing, God is giving wisdom. If anything, right now, you're going to sense that the Lord is welcoming you to the table. The Bible says in Isaiah, come, let us reason together. Let's reason together, says the Lord. 
Though your sins be like a scarlet, I'll make them white as snow. Though your folly be abundant, his wisdom will be what he gives you. Wisdom, understanding. How many of you right now want to pray for wisdom in this city? Wisdom for our politicians. The Bible says to pray for those in authority. To pray for our leaders. To pray for our police department. Come on, this is not a library. It's a prayer meeting. Can I hear somebody else praying today? Pray right now in this church like you mean it. That you actually believe that your prayer was going to bring wisdom. Right now, wisdom is available to all who ask. Do you know that our founding fathers used to pray for wisdom? Do you know that our civil rights leaders used to pray for wisdom? Do you know that our military has chaplains for wisdom? Come on, can you think of any place where stupidity is a good thing? Can you think of any place right now where you want stupid people doing stupid things? Pray for wisdom. Wisdom right now, 30 more seconds. Wisdom. The Bible says all wisdom is in Christ today. Wisdom, wisdom in science, wisdom in mathematics, wisdom in engineering, wisdom for plumbing, wisdom for the church, wisdom for your family. A few more moments. I'm just praying today because I need it. I can't do this without the Lord. The best that I can do is build a sandcastle. That's all that I can do in my own ability. Jesus, Jesus. If you mean it today, would you thank him for it? In your own words, say, thank you, Lord, because I believe it. You can't receive what you don't believe. James says you can only receive what you believe. Do you believe you're receiving right now? Do you believe that God's going to meet you at your dinner table this tonight when you get together and do devotions? Do you believe God's going to meet you on your way to work tomorrow on your commute when you put on the scriptures and prepare for your day? I challenge some of you in the midst of the hardships of your day to take a deep breath and in your sigh of relief say, God, I trust you. Under your breath if you don't want your, uh, your friend or your coworker to think you're weird, but do it nonetheless and watch God what he'll do in your most stressful situations. Pray for wisdom. Seek him. A few more moments. It's worth our time. It is worth our time to pray for the wisdom of God. In Jesus' name, would you say amen? Amen. We're going to dismiss, and if you need prayer for wisdom or you want people to help you understand more about what we do in this church, please come see them. But let me just say this quickly. Today can be the start of a new day in your life. What will change it is your wisdom and knowledge of what you do. Think about all the times you've had wisdom and knowledge, and it changed. Another thing, another thing can now change. It doesn't have to be the same. Wisdom is the answer to all of our problems, the understanding of God. And don't try to do just what you see other people do. My wife and I may do an hour of devotion every night. You may do a five-minute one with your wife next to your bed. Just wake up in the morning, honey, let's pray for five minutes. But how you're going to know which one to do is to seek the Lord. Same thing with saving money. Everybody knows you got to work hard, save hard, you know, and spend wise. But some people may say, you know, spend only 90% of your budget, save the other 10%. Some will say, live only off half of what you make, save the other 50%, retire at 55. Some may say, work two jobs, work one job, start your own business on the side. How are you going to know what works for you, right? You pray, you seek the Lord, be led by the Spirit. Can we give it up for Jesus one more time? Amen. Can you slap your neighbor high five and say, you got all you need, baby. Amen. God bless you. You are dismissed. We'll see you at Life Groups. Have a great week. If you need prayer, come on up. Amen. If you need prayer, come on up. Otherwise, we'll see you.